Hello there, I'm Dylan Haskins. And I'm Lisa Hannigan. Thanks for downloading the podcast. For once, it's great to hear that people are listening into our conversations from all over the world. We're looking for a sponsor for this series so we can do it more regularly and bring it to more people. So if you're involved in an organisation or business that you think might be able to help, do please drop us a mail at soundingspodcast.outlook.com. Anyway, we have a mixed bag to chat about today. There's a new Andrew Lloyd Webber musical opened in the West End in December. It's about the Profumo affair in Britain in 1963. Stephen Ward, the musical. It's named after the osteopath at the centre of that scandal. Yes, a musical about an osteopath. Why did no one think of it sooner? (laughs) And to parallel that, there's also a fantastic book by Richard Davenport Hines called An English Affair, which came out last year, but it's relevant to look at it with the musical. It's more measured look at the Profumo Affair and how it changed Britain. So we've read that as well. We've been watching About Time, which came out last year and it's finally released on DVD this month to coincide with Valentine's Day. I think it got too little attention when it came out so uh, after months of dropping hints Lisa's finally agreed to watch it for the for the podcast so we can talk about that in a bit um, we're also going to start a new thing where we take turns each week to recommend a piece of music and why we love it this week it'll be the gloaming this is Soundings Sounding Soundings Culture Podcast Sounding Soundings Culture Podcast It's on your computer And it is on your phone Soundings Soundings We did have... uh, (laughs) Uh, prepubescent boy come into the studio just now to re- to record <laughs> our jingle for us. <laughs> I, I hope I, I hope there's some reverb on me there. I think you know it's really hurly and I have the lurkies, so I think I need some reverb. <laughs> I mean, that little boy needs some reverb. What's he at? I actually love Chiesi. We're obviously doing that for a, a reason, which we will come to in a bit. Well, let's let's start first with uh, with the book with an English affair by Richard Davenport Hines. The book came out last year, fifty years on from the Perfumo affair. John Perfumo was the Secretary of State for War in the Macmillan Conservative government. His affair with a 19-year-old so-called good time girl and his subsequent lying to Commons about the affair brought the end of his political career and also contributed to the collapse of the government. And it fundamentally changed the relationship between politicians, the media and the public in a way that still resonates in all sorts of ways today. Here's an excerpt from the book. The Profumo affair was not only a body blow to Macmillan's government, it was the death blow to an England that was deferential and discreet. Until 1963, newspapers protected politicians who were detected in adultery or caught in the bushes with guardsmen. After 1963, Fleet Street's emetic brew of guilty joys, false tears, nasty surprises and dirty surmises seemed limitless. From the moment of Profumo's resignation, newspapers started deploying outrageous headlines for non-existent stories. I read this book on my kind of summer holidays last summer and I hadn't actually read biography type of book in a while. But okay. I really liked the structure of this book and how it's written. I found it really engaging. So it starts, it's in two sections. Um, part one is the cast and it's kind of eight chapters of the prime minister, the war minister, the lord, the doctor, good time girls, landlords, hacks and spies. And then part two is just three chapters um, the drama. So it, it's, I thought it's a really good way of organising the book. So you, he spends the majority of it explaining the intricacies of all of these people, who they are, where they came from, and the kind of formative things in their 
um, in their personalities that made them be who they are. So then when you come to the end and it's got the, the drama about what happened and the actual scandal kind of unfolding, you have a much greater understanding of, of the depth of, of what's actually happening. It's not, it's not yeah. about, oh, this happened and wasn't that exciting. Yeah, it's such a good way of structuring historical biography in that uh, it's so widescreen. You know, you, you really, he goes into such detail, almost sometimes too much detail and that it's it's kind of hard to follow this um, never-ending cast of characters and he veers off in, um, into anecdotes here and there and uh, the detail is so, so dense um, that by the time you actually get to the story, you really feel um, like you know the motives behind people when 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 they act as they do, you know it comes it comes um, it, it all makes a bit more sense um, and it's a really clever way of structuring um, a, a book like this. I've never I've never seen that before. Did you enjoy reading it as a, a or because it sounds you know that bit, it might sound a bit dense that you know you're reading about an era that is kind of is bygone. But I mean the scandal was a huge thing when it happened and loads of for loads of people this would be they would know it well and yet I had. I had never heard of the Perfumo affair. Um, I'd heard of it very sketchily. And mostly it's actually just those pictures of sort of Christine Keeler and Mandy Weiss Davies looking terribly glamorous um, in their big sunglasses, uh, yeah. l- leaving the courtroom in, in, with, amid sort of mobs of um, photographers and stuff. And it all looked very sort of glamorous and, and seedy. And, uh, and then it was, it was so interesting to read the book and actually see how, you know, those pictures really tell a, um, a very different story to to what was really going on um and uh, i found that that um his language was really good in the book in making you feel part of the time he does have this sort of witty kind of debonair way of um um of speaking in the book and it's sort of another layer of atmosphere um so he's talking here about the Bournemouth MP John Cordell and he just he says this um Cordell was an example of the soapy scum that flowed after the sluices of self-righteous scurrility were opened. <laughs> I mean, anyone that puts the word scurrility in a book, you know, is <laughs> right by me. But I loved it. I really found it interesting. I mean, I liked, I liked some chapters better than others. I found the Prime Minister one a bit, I got a bit stuck in that one. And mm-hmm. then the, the Landlord's one, I got a bit stuck. But I found it so fascinating. I love the Landlord's one, just about the, the kind of understanding how London was transformed in the 60s because of certain you know someone might have introduced a new law to to curb development and then or to you know encourage um, sustainable use of land after the war and then you know that how that was tinkered with and the unintended consequences of one law resulting in all of the loads of ugly concrete office buildings going up that were cramped and low ceilings and all the land speculation which um you know, as an Irish person coming on the tail end of huge land speculation over recent years, I could kind of draw some parallels between how that had happened in Britain in the 60s and in, in Ireland, I suppose, in the 90s um, yeah. and the 2000s. I, I'm, and there's a lot of parallels to be drawn throughout the whole book. I mean, to seeing, uh, especially the newspaper section, hearing about how, you know, obviously the des- the desperation to sell newspapers and, and, and how... Uh, and how, you know, what cells seem to sort of begin in this time, um, in this era, um, up and, and is certainly obviously um, very, very present um, now still. There was, yeah, there was like the headline quoted, Prince Philip and the Perfumo scandal. Rumour utterly unfounded was the headline <laughs> in the Daily Mirror in 1963, which is basically there is no story. Here's something to catch your eye. And I mean, that's quite, a, we're quite familiar with that now. But yeah. That, um, the kind of, Baby number three. 
and a picture of somebody looking sort of slightly worried. Yeah. Maybe just had a sandwich. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and if you think about Levison and how much the press started to step into people's personal lives, it seems like a lot of that began in the 60s. Um, whereas mm. it might have been closed off before. And, you know, maybe that's some for better, but a lot of this seems like for worse. And the thing about this book is nobody comes out of it well. Nobody comes out of it well. It was a it was a grubby affair, the whole thing, and everybody sort of makes um, wrong turns and um, has shady dealings throughout. I think by slicing through this particular story, though, he, he, he gives you, Davenport Hines gives you a deep insight into how British society changed in the 50s and the 60s and I I found that fascinating to understand how how a whole culture in a country was on that crux of changing at that point and all of these things combined to have this overall effect or maybe it was happening anyway but this is this is the the case study to rule them all to tell you how Britain changed in the 60s yeah it, sh- it sort of shot through everything and and everyone in society was affected by it in that it was the biggest story that had ever happened really mm-hmm. and and brought in so many different aspects of society as you say with the with the landlords and and the uh, and the police and the establishment and um and the good time girls and the and and the society uh, osteopath which is, is a strange title for someone to have but apparently yeah. that's what everyone keeps calling Stephen Ward um and I, and actually I thought that was very interesting about the good time girls that he calls them because I came to this story only really knowing those photographs these very glamorous um women who looked so sort of in control and um um and sort of almost snooty and then you realize reading the book you know there's sort of 19 year old slightly silly Girls with, with like who li- are living in London for the first time and with crap childhoods in some in, in, yeah in some houses and and they, they've suddenly been um, sort of they've suddenly arrived in in London um, and are just having a fabulous time um, and Christine Keeler is a showgirl um, and that's where she meets Stephen Ward and she has lots of affairs with lots of sort of powerful men that that. Uh, that he knows and all sort of 40, 50, 60 year old sort of men in positions of power and these are really young, really young women who are sort of dragged through the the mud of this whole scandal and and I definitely realised they weren't these sort of powerful, glamorous ladies that they were sort of portrayed as. The story is, is a tragedy really, particularly for Stephen Ward, the, the, the society osteopath who who lived uh, with Christine Keeler and Mandy Rice-Davies in a platonic fashion um, and also was friends with Lord Astor of Clifton where he uh, had his fabulous summer home where he would throw wonderful parties and had friends in high places and uh, and was very rambunctious, gregarious man who uh, was seemed to be the life and soul of the party. And um, in the whole affair, he really was the scapegoat um, that sort of took all of the blame um, and through his introducing of Christine Keeler to various people um, was um, convicted of, 
I think living off immoral earnings. Yeah, was, yeah, it was, was a kind of a trumped up charge. They couldn't find any anything on him, but it was very much the, yeah. the government had instructed I'll, the courts to. I'll just read a, a short part about the trial, actually, because that's quite a heartbreaking bit in the book. Um, Ludovic Kennedy, who attended the trial, wrote that Griffith Jones assumed the role not merely of state prosecutor of criminals, but as the state guardian of private morals, acting as a sort of establishment frontman for an ethos which few people besides himself any longer believed in. Griffith Jones's cross-examinations gave Kennedy the impression not that Ward had committed a single obvious crime which cried out for justice, but rather that the prosecution were trying very hard to elicit facts which would bring Ward's activities into the compass of a recognised crime. The prosecution case depended upon uncorroborated statements by proven liars. It was a hotchpot of innuendos and smears covered by a thin pastry of substance. It was a tale of immoralities rather than crimes. And that trial features in Stephen Ward, the musical, which is Andrew Lloyd Webber's new musical. It opened in the Aldwych Theatre in the West End in December and it's 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 still running at the moment for how much longer, I'm not sure. Um, it, it I was quite horrified when I saw posters for this starting to emerge in December. Um, a man who who ultimately committed suicide because of of being scapegoated for all this stuff. Being hounded. Has a, has a musical named after? The I thought it was ulti- a joke. <laughs> the ultimate indignity. <laughs> I know, awful. It, it's basically the type of thing that, you know, that Davenport Hines warns against in the book, you know, saying, yeah. he, he, I just was like, Face palmed when I saw that it was a musical, but we had to had to go and see it to, mm. to see what it is. And um, it, I mean, it's taking the side that Stephen Ward was completely a victim um, of all of these other all of these other people. Um, he manipulated people, and then in turn was manipulated, which uh, is I mean, it's fine. People have argued that for for quite a while now. Maybe it's just more prescient in the it being fifty years from the affair, uh, but when the result is songs like this, my face palming continued. I don't mind admitting the last place I expected to finish up was as an exhibit in the Chamber of Horrors. And not even at the main HQ, but in Blackpool, if you please. Nowhere to be found on my long list of desirable places to spend the weekend. And yet, not so very long ago, I had a fair claim to be the most popular man in London. Stephen Ward, your friendly osteopath. I can fix your lower back for you. Also known for high-class portraiture. And you'll find out that's not all I do. Winston Churchill, Ava Gardner. <laughs> Catchy lyric. I went to see this with an actual osteopath as well, <laughs> which, was, which was quite interesting. What did he make of it, actually? Well, you know, I think there were some factual inaccuracies as to what a, a, an osteopath actually does, apparently. Um, I don't know. I don't think he will be humming those songs next time he's treating anyone, I'm sure. There was, there was, there was, <laughs> there was very little hooks in this. It's hard to believe that the man who wrote this also wrote P.A. Yezu, which explains why, why, why we were doing that as our jingle at the top. Um, and Andrew Lloyd Webber's done such amazing things in the past. Well, it's all down to the tunes, really, in terms of a musical. I mean, some people just just hate musicals and there's nothing to be done about it. And if you do, this is not going to change your mind and, you know, you I'd will hate it. I'd normally be one of those people, actually. <laughs> I, I, certain musicals I can make an exception for, but by and large, I'm yeah. not, I, I, I can't stand musicals. Uh, and uh, I think 
the the trouble with this musical is, is that the there's a very very skinny um, section of Venn diagram that um, that is people that love musicals who also are interested enough in the premium affair to want to uh, <laughs> to want to see a musical version of it. You know, yeah. Um, it just it's it, it's sort of a, a bit of a, a hard sell, I think. You know, I mean, musical theatres is kind of a ridiculous wormhole that you sort of send a story through, and it becomes sort of a bit more camp and farcical, and 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 it's just sort of a slight. It's such a difficult subject to to do that to. I mean, there's so many quite esteemed people involved in this, as well as as well as Lloyd Webber. It's directed by Richard Eyre, who directed the, the National Theatre for, for almost 10 years from the 80s into the 90s. Um, I just can't see how those people's names are attached to something this horrific. Like, I thought it was so, so bad. Did you? It I was, mean, I, I, I thought it improved as it went on. Initially, there's a bit of this sort of clunky monologue narrative breaking the fourth wall thing, which, yeah. which is sort of slightly difficult. Um, but I did sort of like bits of it and bits of it have you know good energy there's the sort of the hula hoop showgirl scene is sort of good and then there's a really weird or- orgy scene which I, so I didn't know where to look let's have a, a listen to the track from the orgy scene it's probably got the hookiest line in the in the musical <laughs> but it, it was also just bizarre like bizarre there was a guy it was pretty much in a gimp mask a butler in a gimp mask pretty much was yeah. he yeah First, first time in a London stage I don't know well, maybe not Here you go. Here, here's a little uh, taster of that number do you like S and M? I don't mind one of them. Here you can have it off with some old English toff. Who is that in the mosque? They won't say, so don't ask. Could be some royal duke, possibly King Farouk. You've never had it so good. You've never had it so I just got the sense that they wanted to make this musical to try and make a point about Stephen Ward rather than to make a good musical. It's it's very like, here's a point that we want to make and yeah. we're going to make it in really bad songs for two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> I think that he obviously wanted to rehabilitate his name so that when you hear his name, you think, oh yeah, that's the the guy. That's the who... crap musical. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's not what anyone attempted to do, but that he's the victim of a terrible miscarriage of justice instead of he's that seedy man who was um, pimping out young girls. Which, sure, you but know. even even though it's exonerating him, the, the thing that, that I couldn't help paralleling it as I watched it with is if you have seen Summer High Tie, the Australian <laughs> series, they make a musical in it about a girl who dies from uh, an ecstasy overdose and then it ends up being about the teacher and it's called Mr. G the Musical. Look it up. <laughs> there is a clip of it on YouTube and it is farcical and it I couldn't help but feel this was the same absolute awful co-option of a tragic story for a really hammy musical. And to the point where, OK, fine, they might be trying to exonerate him and make a point. But this is a commercial musical with really expensive tickets bringing in different, you know, audiences every night. It has a merch stand which sells whips. I S&M saw that. Whips. I saw like, that. come on. And also what makes that even more unsettling is the audience is was 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 largely grey. Who was buying those whips? Like, who are the people that are, that they're targeted at? Not me, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I liked, they used sort of, um, they projected news footage and sort of show uh, new newsreels and stuff. I thought that was quite clever. Yeah, so <laughs> you're proje- so you hate it. The projection so much. was the best thing we could take out of it. The grounds of uh, Cleveland, which is where it was Lord Astor's house, um, 
and it's it's now the lands are in the National Trust the house itself it's where the affair happened it's now a luxury spa and a hotel you can rent out Spring Hill Cottage where Christine Keeler and Stephen Ward uh, stayed but there's there's a section on the site which um, they, they, I think they might have taken it down now but I saw it a few months ago discover the scurrilous secrets of the times on our Profumo affair break at Clevedon House and find out all about how the political establishment finally thawed out I mean a Profumo affair break for two. Wow. Like, imagine coming home and say, hey, 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 honey, you know, I've got us a, a Profumo affair break. Also, you can imagine who's who's doing that. Sorry, I've just cheated on you with a call girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not a not call or girl. Ma- maybe people like... use it. Maybe you would, maybe it's like, it's targeted at adulterers that as, as a break. Maybe. And who's, who's sort of playing who in this whole, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely awful. Well, An English Affair by Richard Davenport Hines is published by Harper Press. And if you want to go and see um, the musical Stephen Ward yourself, it's taking bookings at the Old Witch Theatre in London until the end of May, at least. And the website for that is stephenwardthemusical.com. You're so sassy. <laughs> they could be part of that. That's they the could least be enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There might be somebody at home who loves musicals and is really interested in the perfume. You know, it's, it's had good reviews, actually. I'm just, I, it's had several good reviews, but y- you, maybe sometimes these things can all be a bit cosy. This week sees the Valentine's Day DVD release of About Time, written and directed by Richard Curtis. I'm sure that uh, many people on hearing the combination of words Valentine's Day and Richard Curtis are likely to run away wailing incoherently. Um, <laughs> admittedly, myself included. Um, all of the classic Curtis tropes are there. Donald Gleeson plays the charmingly bumbling Englishman. Rachel McAdams is the gorgeous American in London. Uh, it's set in preposterously gorgeous um, and posh houses. Uh, there are kooky sisters and deranged flatmates and Bill Nye is very sassy. Uh, the twist here is that the men in the family can travel through time, which Donald Gleeson's character Tim uses to find himself a girlfriend. But there is a little more to this romantic comedy than first meets the eye. Yes, Ooh. there is. <laughs> Tim, my dear son, this is going to sound strange. The men in the family can travel in time. Wow. Is as good a reaction as any. I think I plumped for fuck. I You're want, so excited about this. I Your want face. to champion. <laughs> I want to champion this movie. Um, I think it got such little attention when it came out. Um, and anyone that I have kind of put onto it since has come back going, that's amazing. But also, that said, someone had to come to me and say, you should go and see this film. And I was like, that film with the crap poster that looks like a Such bland a rom com. Well, they're there laughing in the rain. It's like it's know? like Donald Gleeson and, and Rachel McAdams canoodling, like and canoodling in the rain. It's just it's a it's a Richard Curtis thing. He likes having people sort of romance in the rain. But what? Like you look at that and you just think, I, I saw that on buses passing me by, and it it passed me by. It was like, yeah. God, what is that film? Another one of those, and and. I think this film is a case of a mismarketed film, a film that is 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 not really it's not a rom-com. This is a film the the relationship that's actually at the core of this film is between a father and the son. It's not yeah. between Gleason and McAdams. Yeah, that part the 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 portion between Bill Nye and and Donald Gleason's character is the most tender and beautiful, beautifully drawn part of of the film and it is really it is really beautiful um and really moving. Um I'm not as sold as the rest of it as you are, um, but I am dead to joy. So <laughs> I don't know. I think. Can you think of any other examples of movies that are kind of mismarketed? 
Um, well, I think Greece is another one that is sort of marketed as like, you know, this an awesome, just a fun little summer romance. And it's horrible. That's a horrible. I only saw it for the first time a few months ago. Um, and, um, you know, basically the premise of Greece is under no circumstances um, be yourself if you want someone to love you. Just completely change your personality, your style of clothes, your interests um, and tailor them to what they want you to be. And then you're going to have an awesome dance routine on a on a fairground ride. The end. <laughs> no, Greece. No. Um, I, I asked on Twitter yesterday about that as well. Um, Chris Tierney said the guard came across as way too bouncy and cheeky when in fact it's very raw and dark. Still great. George Farah says Goon, a surprisingly charming and witty comedy marketed as a brainless jackass facsimile. And The Shifty Shadow says the perks of being a wallflower marketing made it look like an Emma Watson vehicle. It's much, much more than that. Um, I have no problem with Emma Watson vehicles. I'll put that out there. But, um, <laughs> but I, I think, again, obviously the marketing team on this are having another fail in that they held out for Valentine's for Valentine's Day release. This would have been a great movie at Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's sack the marketing team, Richard Curtis. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very trepidatious now coming to watch this film because of, and I can barely even bring myself to say the title "Love Actually," which even if, even the title annoys me. In that "Love Actually," what does that even mean? There's not a comma in there. Rant alert here. Sorry. Okay, go. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I just don't even love actually. What does that mean? What is is it? Love actually. Love actually. Love. Love. You know, it makes no sense. You think there should be a comma? I think there should Love, be... actually. Or what does it mean? <laughs> Somebody explain it to me. Well, this film, happily, does explain what it's about. It's not a rom-com. It is about time, yeah. quite, quite literally. So um, maybe some lessons have been learned. Maybe your previous rants about Love Actually have been taken on by Richard Curtis. Possibly. Just he could feel my, my vicious... Uh, did you like, did you like uh, Notting Hill? No. He didn't. I think Notting Hill is great. I'd say it's a guilty pleasure and then people say there's nothing guilty about Notting Hill. I think it's a fantastic film. It's one that I can watch again and again and About Time is one that I will watch again and again. The line where he asks, he says he's from the Horse and Hound magazine. Do you not into that? I don't know. I I, I feel... God. Maybe I just, maybe I was just in a bad mood when I saw particularly love actually but I, and I was trying to remember what it was I hated about it and I have some kind of post-traumatic stress um, You hadn't just broken up I, with someone had you no. that would be obviously the worst time to see a Richard no. Curtis film period like. <laughs> I think like the, uh, the one bit that sticks out that I can vaguely remember is Kira Knightley is, gets married and then the best man is doing the photographs or something and then she goes to look at her wedding photographs and they're all creepy creepy close-up photographs of her and Instead of being like, hey, you've, first of all, you've ruined my wedding photographs. And second of all, that's really stalkery and creepy and, and, uh, and offensively uh, uncaring of my feelings here. Yeah. Um, she sort of goes, oh, and it's kind of flattered about it. Like it's giving, it's just, it's so wrong. And it's so, the whole film is really sexist. And no, none of the ladies have, have interesting characters. And if they do, then they probably aren't going to end up with happy, happy lives. You could, probably say, you could probably say that none, none of the women actually have, have very interesting characters in this either, really. It is, a, it, is about, it is about male relationships more, I think. It's, for, it's from a male perspective. But at least, at least those male relationships are done really well in this yeah. movie. 
I, I, maybe that's why I found it quite quite affecting, like the the, the film as well. And and it, I genuinely welled up on it several times, and um, particularly uh, there's there's a, when a Nick Cave song is played in a soundtrack, it 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 pulls the heartstrings. Yeah. Um. That scene was very well done. That part was fantastic, and just the music was so appropriate for that as well. There's other great things in the soundtrack. Paul Buchanan, his song "Midair" is used really Beautiful, well. Beautiful, yeah. Um, I saw I saw him play actually Paul Buchanan he played on Other Voices two years ago in Dingle and mm-hmm. um, I remember someone tweeting after his set if you've been affected by the performance the smartest <laughs> phone number is X um, I thought that was a great thing and one of the main songs in it is uh, The Water Boys um, How Long Will I Love You there's some, a couple of different versions actually on the on the, on the soundtrack but um, do you I saw people complaining online about the plot plot holes in the whole time travel <laughs> aspect of the film I was like you're missing yeah. the point this isn't like a serious sci-fi film yeah. that's just a device to play around with how would you how would you choose to to live life if you could go back over things yeah. again really. even I who is both dead to joy and <laughs> particularly ranty about this sort of film um, you can't you can't start picking holes in a film like this about the science you know <laughs> it's like you don't n- think it's a good film no no I do I, I you don't think it's a good film that's fine fine don't worry about it we can move on no I do think it's a good film I mean I wouldn't climb over hot coals to watch it I do I, I, am, I am weird about films like this though I am a bit dead to joy well joy kill Lisa <laughs> Um, I think you should watch this film. I think. No, I do yeah. think you should watch this film. I feel like I've just <laughs> run over your your puppy. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, it's only a new puppy anyway. Um, <laughs> about time is released on DVD at the moment. Uh, so go do go pick it up and maybe watch it. It's a good. It's a good kind of family one as well. I think. Yeah. Um, Anyway, this is a new new segment that we're going to do every week. Now we'll take turns doing it each week. Um, I'm going to do it this week. <laughs> That's okay. Would you? <laughs> Please do. Um, it, we're going to pick out a piece of music each week that that we're that we're kind of into, and uh, why we are. And um, this week, I've chosen out the the gloaming. The band is three parts Irish and two parts American. The Irish members are Quivino Rahalig, Irlo Leonard, and Martin Hayes. All three of those will be kind of trad royalty Martin Hayes will be one of the best mm-hmm. fiddle players in the world um, Queen's style is up there with it's really very experimental but comes from a tr- traditional roots I suppose mm-hmm. um, and Irla is from a, a long line of Shannon singers probably one of the one of the kind of primary Chano singers in Ireland and then on the American side you have uh, Dennis Cahill who is the longtime guitar accompanist to Martin Hayes and Thomas Bartlett who is the kind of the odd one out and that he's not from a, a traditional music background whatsoever and um, he plays he plays piano in it but he really pulls the band in a in a different direction he forces them to go to certain places and it's it's I've seen them live three times now and I'm going to go every single time I can I've seen them twice in Union Chapel and um, most recently uh, last month and the audience was heaving in the room towards the stage. And I felt afterwards like this was the most important band to come out of Ireland in a generation. And I'm not saying that. I'm not. I have talked to seasoned music journalists, seasoned cynical music journalists who have said they have not been excited about a band from Ireland like this in 25 years. Yeah, I mean, it's just so stunningly beautiful. Let's play some music. Here are the gloaming playing the Sailor's Bonnet at the Other Voices Festival in Derry last week.
Wild the Gloaming were in Derry to play at the Other Voices Festival. I was talking with Quivino Rahalig and Irlo Leonard. A lot of the material is older material that you've kind of reinterpreted. How do you make something that is very old, often hundreds of years old, how do you make that fresh and exciting again, which it very much is? Well, we just do what we do. Um, like, I play music because it's in my bones and it needs to get out and if I'm playing on my own or if I'm playing with Mick O'Brien or in a quite a traditional environment or in an environment like this the same music is in those bones the same music is trying to get out and you can't stop it it's going to get out and all we have to do is let it and I'm not trying to make it new and exciting that music mm. is new and exciting because every single time we play it we're not playing something old. What we're doing is we've kind of got the seed of the idea of that music and we send down roots deep into the genetic material of where we've come from. This old music that goes back hundreds of years and we pull this up through our veins and out through our instrument or whatever it is we play and it comes out fresh because it is. It's alive. Every time we play, be it traditional or contemporary, it's alive there and then. It's new by dint of us being at the absolute finest point of creativity where it's razor sharp, mm -hmm. where you're not rehashing something you've practiced. You're there then and it, of course it's fresh. That's the whole, the whole thing of being creative, I guess. They're like uh, Sears. Everyone in the band is so so wise. A great thing happened. We were doing uh, we were doing that interview and um, Irla mentioned at one point in it as well that he doesn't like to intellectualise about it too much. And the, the, the man who owned the bookshop there, he said afterwards, he was sitting there, sitting back quietly, he says, it was interesting to hear them intellectualise about not intellectualising. <laughs> as, only, as only someone from Derry, as only someone from Derry could say, would say as well. Um, there's a fantastic film about the gloaming called Moment to Moment made by Nulo O'Connor and Philip King and it is actually streaming at the moment on theguardian.com um, we've put up a link to that as well a short to, to get directly to it. it's bit.ly forward slash the gloaming film it's about 52 minutes long and it kind of goes into where all of these people have come from it's a beautiful film so I, I'd recommend to go and watch that maybe we might talk a bit about that film on the next show as well mm. Um, well that's it for another week thanks for listening if you're enjoying the series please do tell some more people about it and pass on the link to the show on iTunes which is bit.ly forward slash soundingspod if you'd like to contact us our Twitter handle is at soundingspod and we're on Facebook if you look up soundings culture podcast between this and the next episode we're also going to do I suppose it's it's a first for us we're making we're having our first foray outside of the studio Um <laughs> Well, not that we live in the studio, but just the first recorded thing where we take a recorder outside of the studio um, as part of our new 2014 resolution to scare the crap out of Lisa Hannigan. And <laughs> um, the desensitisation of Lisa Hannigan, number one, begins. Um, we went to the Chislehurst Caves. We went deep, deep underground. Um, um, so we'll be putting that up in the next couple of days as well. So you can expect that. And don't, and don't forget, obviously, as well, um, that you two can take part in the desensitisation of Lisa Hannigan <laughs> when you see her in public. No. Uh, <laughs> come up with her from any angle and jump out at her. I just have to warn people that I have cat-like reflexes and I'm and quite violent. Sendings oh. would like to say we take no responsibility for any injury caused by Lisa Hannigan to listeners who do engage in the desensitisation of Lisa Hannigan. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we will talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>